I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Our guest today is Tyler Thompson, co-founder of the film production company Cross Creek Pictures, a South Louisiana native and New Orleans resident. His company had a huge success in 2010 with the film Black Swan, and he's been active for a decade producing movies starring the biggest names in Hollywood. There's Oscar buzz about the 2020 film, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and he's got a lot of interesting projects coming up. I wanna talk to Tyler today about his story, the state of Hollywood and how the pandemic is changing the industry. Tyler Thompson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so you are a South Louisiana native. Your family has a history in oil and gas, I think it is. Can you explain how you made this transition from that into being a Hollywood uh, power broker? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it, was, it was all kind of organic, I guess. And, and it was um, a lot of happenstance, a lot of chance, and a lot of, you know, luck, I guess, for, for lack of a better word. I, um, you know, it it all really stemmed from me just wanting to do something different than what, you know, my grandparents did and what my parents did and, you know, what we've done in, you know, Louisiana over the last three generations or so. But, um, you know, I, I was, I was literally, I was in Homa. I had, I failed out of college, which, which was, I was maybe there for a couple weeks. And then I started an 18 wheeler business, okay. you know, within the family office or whatever that we have. And it did okay. I enjoyed it. I did sales for it. And so I'd run around calling on all the oil field companies, doing sales all over kind of home Morgan City area and different things like that, New Orleans. And um, it got a little mundane and boring to me after doing it for a couple of years, as, as you can imagine. Um, but I was, I was in Homa one evening and I realized there was a rap party for, for this movie Brittany Murphy was shooting, one of her last movies I think she ever did. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I went to the bar where the rap party was because I knew the owner. And uh, these producers, <clears throat> these producers kind of walked out and I ended up, you know, meeting them. And, um, you know, I was, I was super intrigued about, you know, what they did. I was like, never, I've never met anyone even in the movie business. I'd never even been to Los Angeles up until this time. And, um, you know, I kind of convinced them to take me to Los Angeles. <laughs> um, to go just look around and see some studios and different things like that. So I, uh, I ended up booking a trip out there a couple weeks later with them. They were, and they were going to show me all the different studios, Raleigh Studios, Universal, Warner Brothers, and introduced me to some people. Um, and I had this grand idea that I was going to, um, that I was going to cater movie sets. That was my whole okay. thing, right? And so I ended up making uh, fake business cards with Encore Catering and, you know, CEO Tyler Thompson. They were, I, the company didn't even exist yet, but I was going to hand the cards out. Um, you named your fake company Encore. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and it, it, it actually all stemmed from we had a catering company, an offshore catering company. Oh, and gotcha. so I was like, yeah, this, will, uh, th this actually could work really well. So I went out there with like a million business cards and I was handing them out to everyone, the janitors, the <laughs> desk guys, the, you know, every, everyone I could find. I was literally, uh, I was literally handing them, uh, handing them out like candy. Um, and so I got in, um, 
on, on the way back home from, from Raleigh Studios, I think it was, I was in the car with the guys that kind of were showing me around and there was a script in the back and I had never seen a script before. Um, and I, um, I asked them, I said, would you mind if I, if I took it home and, and read it? And they said, sure, why not? So I took it back to me. I was living in Baton Rouge at the time with my now wife who was in vet school at LSU. Right. Um, I took it home and I was like, man, I, uh, I read like 15 pages and I was like, screw being in the, uh, in the catering business in Hollywood. I was like, you know, I want to figure out a way to make this movie. And so um, I called those producers and I said, hey, do you think we can maybe put this together? And they said, sure, the budget's, you know, I think it was like $2 million, the budget was. They, they had a director, which is Chris Landon, and uh, Michael Landon's son. Okay. He, he, he ended up, he's now done like Happy Death Day. He's done some actually really good things uh, as of lately. But, um, you know, the budget was like $2 million. So I, so I was like, all right, let me go figure this out. And so, you know, like anything you try your hand at, you know, you, you, you mess up until you don't mess up. And, uh, you know, I was able to get our family office um, to come in, finance part of the movie. I raised the other half from someone else in Baton Rouge. And, um, and we ended up going to make the movie. Um, you know, we made some mistakes along the way, obviously, yeah. because I'd never been in the film business before. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I just kind of went in. It, it, was, it was a little like trial by fire for me. Right. It was you know, trying to learn on the fly. But it, it was at the end of the day, it became my real film school. It was a lot of lessons learned. It was a lot of, um, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of mistakes on, on my part. And so at the end of it, you know, we were over budget. We didn't have a distributor and all of these other things that, you know, you need whenever you go make a movie. Um, and, you know, we really took our experience from that movie and built Cross Creek Pictures on it. It, um, you know, it, it kind of served as the foundation for for why we started Cross Creek Pictures. Okay, I got and a question it, for you. Yeah. So that so that that project, you you needed to raise two million dollars, and you and that was literally because that was the script you happened to get handed. That's how you decided to make that movie. Yeah, I, I just figured I'm like I'm never gonna find another script again. So literally, the script could have been anything. It right. Could have been about. Just... Yeah, it could have been about like you know. <laughs> literally anything of, you know, a coffee bean that rolls down the hill for, for a year and a half. And I, I would have said, let's go make that movie because I just figured, I'm like, you know, what's the fastest way to get into this business? And it's like, maybe making a movie. I'll meet people <laughs> through making a movie. That's the fastest okay. way to get in, into another business. That's interesting to me. Okay. Um, so did you, so you raised that money through your family and through another investor here in Louisiana. So it was Louisiana money. That was the entire budget came from Louisiana investors. Did, did those people, get any of their money back or was this like just a, a learning experience where you had to like lots of <laughs> they didn't get any money but no one got any money back and unfortunately unfortunately halfway through the process we went over budget a lot and uh my dad actually flew out to see what was going on he was like i'm gonna go out here and make sure they're actually shooting a movie or whatever they're doing he did he did not love the idea being in the movie business, especially financing a movie. He's like, what, what, do you, what do you know about making movies? He's like, we're not doing this. And it took me, it took me a while to convince him to do it. And, he, and he, I think his way of punting was like, he was like, you go find half the money and then I'll put the other half the money up. It was pretty much that. So I found half the money and I called him and I was like, hey, I got half the money. It's your turn. I need you to put, the, I need you to put your half up. So he reluctantly did it. And, um, 
we made the movie. He decided we're halfway through the movie. He decided to fly out and see what's going on. He lands. And that morning I had found out we're over budget a million and a half dollars. <laughs> right. And uh, the movie was not bonded. So we made every, every mistake in the book on this one, but, but that's served as a foundation for Cross Creek at the end of the day. So he lands in Los Angeles, knowing nothing about the movie business and me only knowing about a month and a half about the movie business. And he flies down, we go sit down at dinner. I'm like, hey, I need to talk to you for a second. We're over budget, like a million and a half, maybe $2 million. And he starts laughing and he's like, well, He's like, that's fine. He said, give me the money back right now. He's like, we're done with this. I'm going home. <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, that's the thing. It's already been spent. He was like, it's been spent. You spent all the money already in two weeks of production. I was like, I was like well, yeah, you know, it's, it's been spent. I was like, well, we need the money because, you know, he's like, oh, let me, you know, he's, he, his head was spinning. He's like, all right, I'm going home. He's like, I'm done with this. He's like, let me figure out how we're going to dig out of this hole. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you kind of don't have time to figure that out. I was like, we've got to like, we need it for payroll next week. <laughs> he was, he was furious, you know, and, um, you know, but we ended up getting through it. We got through it. Um, the movie ended up being really good. Um, but it really served as a foundation for what Cross Creek ultimately became that next year and what it is today. And it's really founded on the basis of, you know, putting the right things in place, taking the risk on multiple movies as opposed to one movie, you know, always having a distributor on board, always, always backing filmmakers that are seasoned, always, um, you know, always doing it, doing it from a, from a, you know, from a fiscal responsibility type perspective. So I know that Black Swan was your first big, big success. Thanks. Because it went that, that was million or something? Yeah, that was the next movie, thankfully, because if it wasn't for that, I would likely be back in the trucking business today. So that was literally the next film. Yeah, it was the next movie. Yeah. So I we were literally we just we had just started the company Cross Creek Pictures and we were gonna go out and, you know, find some more movies and you know, we had this new business plan that was gonna work, uh, you know, that we thought was gonna work and the first script that I got from CAA was, was Black Swan. And it was actually everyone in town had passed on it. Everyone. Um, which is actually the case with almost every movie I've made that's been successful, including Chicago 7. Um, but everyone in town had passed on the, on the, on the script. Um, they were in pre-production in New York. And my agent, Rogue Sutherland at CAA, just said, listen, I think this is going to be a great movie. He had no idea. <laughs> he just wanted to get it financed for his client. Um, he's like, Cross Creek needs to look at this. It would be a great first movie. This, you know, the director, Darren, just came off of The Wrestler. Um, he did, you know, he did Pie. He did Requiem for a Dream. And I was like, wow, those are some dark movies. But, you know, let's read it. And let's see what it's all about. So I read it. I remember I went to, I was somewhere. I, was, I wasn't home. I was somewhere where I read the script. I think I was in Mississippi or something. I was in Mississippi for some reason. I don't know why. And I remember reading the script and, absolutely loving it and then I watched The Wrestler that night again and I was just like wow what he did with Mickey Rourke in that movie if he can if he can take that same formula and incorporate it in the, into the world of ballet and women I mean it could be it could be it, it could actually work and the budget was right we were at like 12 million dollars um, and so I said yeah we're in and we ended up making it I brought Fox Searchlight in CA helped me bring Fox Searchlight in 
And, um, you know, it did like it was a $12 million budget. I think it did like three fifty, maybe right about 300, I guess, somewhere in that, somewhere in that realm. You and might to, know more than I do. And to clarify that, that, that kind of success is unbelievably elusive. I mean, like I assume people could try and do what you're trying, what you started to do and spend a lifetime and never achieve that. Right. That's not, common. it's true. It's, it, it, it really is true. And that's why I always tell people it's, you know, it's a bit of luck. It really is. It's a bit of luck and it's a bit of executing on opportunity when it, whenever it presents itself. And, you know, some people spend an entire lifetime and career trying to not only find a movie like that, but find, you know, find, or, you know, find a path in that business because it's unfortunately one of the toughest businesses in my opinion, um, especially today, but um, it's tough and it's, you know, you get lucky enough, you get lucky enough and you can ride the wave for a little while. And then that, that wave goes away and it's just all about kind of maintaining at that, at that kind of, you know, at that point. But um, I want to ask you about stuff that's happening now and kind of just zoom way ahead, but I do have one more follow up about this. So when you lost for your family and your other investor, several million dollars on that yeah. first movie. How did you then convince anyone to, to do the next one? Um, different investor base. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the next investor base, we had raised, I mean, to get a little granular, we had raised a fund. You know, part of the business plan was like, let's, let's you know, let's raise 25 million and scatter it over six movies you know let's find six movies to make 25 million dollars and so we went to a lot of friends and family um a lot of people who really took the risk and took a bet on you know just us and my family in general and me in general um and that's why I, you know the first one was black swan and it was always it wasn't a fund where it was like all right tyler just you know go have fun and make movies it was like a it was very rigid it was a call fund and so like they were gonna wade into this and see how it worked um and Black Swan was the first one up, so we put the money in, and uh, we called from the fund, put the money in, and and, and it worked. And then you know we took we, we took that fund, and you know with that investor base, and then we did. I think we raised like seventy five million dollars was the next fund, and then this is our um, this is our third fund. I'm sorry, our fourth fund, which is um, which is right around like one hundred and eighty million. So they just keep getting bigger. Um, you. When you pay for a movie, when, you, when you're the person who pulls the money together and are, are the purse strings, how much then are you involved in the creativity of that movie? Very much so. I mean, even from, you know, from Black Swan, I mean, I, w- I was involved from a, you know, the budget was like 15 million and we had to cut five or we had to cut 4 million out of it. So I worked with Darren to get the budget down. I worked with Darren, um, you know, on the casting process opposite of Natalie Portman um you know and then you know all the way down to locations where are we going to shoot this should it be new york should it be new jersey should it be wherever should it be the uk um you know all the way up until you know chicago seven i mean as recent as chicago seven and movies we're actually making today um you know i um you know chicago seven was super super heavy on the budget side you know it it was unmakeable everyone in town had passed on it and it, it, it all really started with a conversation with Aaron Sorkin and I, which, which everything kind of does. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's very much like the pyramid is essentially, it's that foundation conversation with the director really buying off that he can execute what he says he's going to execute. And, um, 
it uh, you know it's kind of building from there. So it all starts with 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 the conversation with the director, and then and then it's all right. How do we make this? How do we make this for the right number? And then how do we bring in the right studio partner? And so we're we're we're, we're essential, and we're we're kind of the the we we are what propels every conversation as it pertains to that. So we attach the talent, we attach the 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 studio, we attach the director, and we you know you know we figure out how to go make the movie for the right price, and then we ultimately finance it. Understood. Since Black Swan, you've produced a lot of movies, big stars from Tom Cruise to Johnny Depp to Vin Diesel and all these people. Uh, if you were going to summarize this last 10 years and like sort of hit the highlights, how would you do that? The last 10 years? The last 10 years of your career, yeah. Um, geez, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> to sum it up for me personally, it's been outstanding learning experience. It's been something that I'm super grateful to have the platform to go and make these movies that studios don't make anymore. And they've, they're starting to make less and less of these movies. 10 years ago, they really did. They, they, they were making a little bit of these good kind of movies like Black Swan, Hacksaw Ridge, American Made. They really don't make these movies anymore. Um, and so it's mostly, it's mostly, you know, a learning experience. I'm very grateful to have the platform to be able to do it. And, you know, I think, I think most importantly, um, I have learned in the last 10 years that you don't always have to be right. <laughs> you know, you could, you, 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 you allow other people, you, you accept other people's faults and you accept, you know, other people for, for what they do best. And, you know, I've, you know, over the last 10 years, when it started, it wasn't that, but it is that it is, it, it is a lot of that. Now we try and harness a lot of, you know, allowing the train to kind of take off and, and adapting, um, you know, to the times changing and different things like that. But it's, um, yeah. And then the other end is, is, is financial. And it's, you know, over the last 10 years, I didn't realize how, um, how important it was to be fiscally and um, just financially responsible responsible for for you know what do you ultimately make this movie for and what do you, you know what's the exit plan and it's worked out because some of the movies we made we got lucky on or some of the movies we made you know worked some of them didn't but at the end of the day it's we've always kind of kept that bottom line number in check and 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 I'm really grateful we were able to do that but it's you know it's learning more and more that um you know the bottom line is, you know, one of the most pinnacle things because the investors that are putting their money in it, the funds that are putting their money in it, you know, are the people who are going to give you the runway for the next 10 years, the next 15 years or 20 years. Right. Um, so it's, it's just a more, it's a realization of more of that type of um, thinking as opposed to just wanting to go make, oh, I've got to make this movie. I've got to do this. It's a, it's a more of a broader picture, I guess. Understood. So you kind of caught us up to, all the stuff that happened at the beginning and then took us through this last 10 years of success and what, it, what it's meant for you. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what's the culture like in Hollywood versus the culture in South Louisiana and the oil and gas industry, that whole side of things? Sure. I mean, look, at it's, it's, it's a business no different than any other business, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's at the end of the day, you have, you have ups and you have downs and you have, you know, the same kind of things to overcome. The difference, the difference is, is mostly, in my opinion, it's socially. I think it's, um, you know, that is a very, very rigid town. Um, just like the music business and, you know, Nashville is a very rigid place to be. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's always been to my benefit that I was an outsider and I've always been an outsider. And we do things differently than most of the other people there. Um, 
and it's just like the honesty doesn't really exist you know i mean like there's a lot of there's a lot of like all right let's see if we can say this and you know go around this back door but you know at the end of the day it's like you know being from louisiana it's like you're just you're just an honest person and it's it's you know it's it's kind of instilled in you from the time you were you were born at the end of the day and and, and honest uh, honest meaning meaning just like you go to work and you come home and you you know an honest working person at the end of the day you go to work you come home and you're with your family or you do you know you do your own thing but there's no bigger thing outside of the business right there's no headspace the celebrity and all of the other stuff that comes along with it a lot of people that are that are in hollywood they they take that to the next level with the celebrity and with the you know being in the scene and with all of that other stuff and you know for me it's always been i mean look i've got four kids you know my wife's a veterinarian and you know, for me, it's always been, you know, go to work, come home and uh, enjoy the family or enjoy, you know, my, my parents or different things like that. And I've never really gotten into the, the whole celebrity realm and being in the scene or any of that other stuff. And so I attribute a lot of that to, you know, the reason I live in New Orleans and also, you know, why I'm able to, you know, um, do some of the things I'm able to do in that town because I don't really, I'm not there all the time it's it's the same business no different than any other one but you know there's that celebrity aspect of it that a lot of people choose to be involved with um that i've never really i've never had the i've never really had the desire to do any of that stuff to be honest with you <laughs> well, i'm curious so how just practically do you get all this work done when you're here yeah i mean just on the phone all day long i mean i it's actually quite nice so i i um you know they don't really start waking up until 11 o'clock hour time right and so I've got a minute to catch up on the day before, but then you work until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock the night, the night before. Um, it's, uh, it, it, to be honest with you, I think, I think now in the pandemic has really showed it to you. You can do anything, any business, in my opinion, from your bed. And I don't care where that bed is. <laughs> I really don't. And, and I think, I, I think, I think I, I'll say that with the caveat that I've spent enough time in the town that, I've got the ability to do, you know, most, if not all of it from the phone. Um, and look, I think if I was just starting to do it, like I'm doing it now, or like I've been doing it over the last, you know, year and a half, I guess since COVID, um, it would be very tough. It'd be really, really tough. Um, but to have the, you know, relationships, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of, you know, continue to play on those relationships over the phone. And uh, look, I think everyone, everyone I talk to in, in Los Angeles has all, they've all moved agents, actors, they've either moved to like New Jersey, um, upstate New York, Hawaii, Texas, Florida. I mean, they're all, they're all making the exodus, I guess. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, um, it, uh, it lends itself to, it, it, it lends itself to, to being able to do it over the phone, especially when you put the time in over there, I guess. So it's, it's worked out for me, thankfully be able to do it like this uh, but i assume you at some point you've had your power lunches or dinners at chateau marmont and all this kind of stuff and that <laughs> we had those times yeah and the first the first like i want to say maybe the first like six years yeah maybe the first like five years i was really into that it was, it was really fun it was like getting to meet all these people for the first time and you know coming from louisiana you don't get to see you know you don't see celebrities you don't you don't see and, and i was never i've never been really starstruck by celebrities either but it was interesting to see kind of how they operate on a social level, just like, oh, okay, that's Tom Cruise sitting right there. Like, you know, like, what do you, you know, how, how do, how, you know, how do they operate? How do they go to dinner? How do they do different things like that? And so, 
yeah, it, it existed for like the first five years I did all of that stuff. And then, uh, you know, I was like, you know what, this is, this is the same stuff every single night <laughs> you know they're probably still well not anymore with covid but you know they, they still do that every single night they go to the sunset towers or they now go to you know the san vicente bungalows but you know I, i'll go in and maybe do that like once a month or something like that you know okay. sans covid but uh but yes it's uh it's quite it's quite interesting it's it's, it's pretty pretty uh comical to see most of the time <laughs> All right. It's just a lot of there's a lot of silliness that happens in between the lines, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I want to switch in a minute to talking about just the industry in general. But real quick, I know you have you have some notable projects this year, uh, and then some stuff coming up. Can you just tell us about the trial of the Chicago Seven, which may yep. be getting some awards buzz, and then, and what else are you excited about that's right now or coming up? Sure. Yeah. So we're uh, the Chicago Seven came out in October. Um, we're playing really well on the net, on the Netflix platform. We um, it, it, Paramount was going to distribute the movie, and then this past summer we realized theaters weren't going to be open. Um, so we went ahead and made a deal with Netflix to pick it up, and they agreed to give us a big Academy push for Aaron um, and for Cross Creek. And um, yeah, we were able to get that one in, which is really good because I think if Paramount would have released it. I don't know if we would have done any business because theaters just aren't open. Right. Um, so Netflix really came in and gave us a lifeboat and they really, really got behind the picture in, in many, many ways. Um, and we're playing really well on their platform. And so, yeah, I think we, we won a Gotham for, for best ensemble like last week, maybe. And then, um, yeah, the plan is hopefully to, hopefully to win best picture. That's the, you know, we, we haven't done that yet as a company. So I think, uh, you know, I think we stand a decent shot at doing it, hopefully, or at least that's what Netflix is telling us. So we well, shall what, see. What's your best awards brag so far from your, from your, uh, you know, your 10 years here? Um, shit, probably Black Swan, I think, getting, getting Best Picture nominations. Um, that's, that, that was kind of the first one. I, I never <laughs> would have dreamed any of that would have ever happened. And to see that was really surreal and all the press that's associated with it and all of the pop circumstances and everything for the first time was quite, uh, was quite interesting to see, to say the least. Your dad probably forgave you at that point for the, uh, for the first He movie. did. He, he <laughs> did. Yeah. Thankfully. <laughs> he definitely did. Uh, fortunately. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably Black Swan, but yeah, we've never, we've never actually won the best picture yet. We've been, we've been nominated. We were nominated for Black Swan, Hacksaw Ridge, um, I think one, I think maybe one other, maybe two others or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think this one stands a really good shot. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Like whenever we started, whenever we started shooting this movie a couple of years ago in New Jersey, I would have never thought the world would look the way it does today. I don't think anyone did. Right. And, you know, right when we wrapped all of this civil unrest was happening and, you know, the movie came out, I think right at the heart. Yeah. It felt like it was. Yeah, everyone's like, you guys knew what was going on, or, or you must have just shot it. And, and truthfully, it was when we started shooting it, no one that this didn't exist, you know, unfortunately for the world. But, you know, fortunately, I guess for our movie, it became extremely relevant overnight. So, trying to ease into the next stage of the pandemic or the post pandemic world, how's production yeah. looking in general and in specifically in New Orleans? What would you say? Um, I mean, production, production in general is happening, right? I mean, so you have the movies that are going. Um, a big problem with production though, is you don't, there, there are so many unknowns, right? Just uh, on a global level, it's like, there's so many unknowns. It's like you take Everest, we're gonna shoot the UK in Italy. 
April 19th. And, you know, COVID is what it is today. And you can't get insurance. You can't get COVID insurance or cost an astronomical number. It doesn't even make sense at some level. Um, but how do you plan for when you start your cash flow on a movie today and you start shooting the movie April 19th, how do you know if COVID's not going to come go crazy again? They're going to shut Italy down or shut the UK down. Right. You know, how do you, how do you know that? So there, there's that financial risk that exists for productions right now. And then there's the, there's also, um, you know, the, you know, you're, you're running away from COVID, right? So you look at places like New Zealand, you know, they have COVID under control. You look at places like Canada, you know, I guess I looked two weeks ago and they had COVID under control two weeks ago. It could be a different story today. Um, and, you know, you kind of, you kind of like run away from COVID at the end of the day. If, if all of a sudden the UK and Italy doesn't work because Italy just shut down, then you go to New Zealand or you go here. So it's, 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 you're having to become more and more creative. The costs are going up and the unknown is getting bigger and bigger and bigger just until we really a hundred percent get this under wraps or it starts declining. Um, so yeah, there, there's both of those. There's both of those. I mean, you know, you know, Tom Cruise who is doing it, you know, perfectly in the UK is still having some issues. Obviously I'm sure everyone heard him <laughs> getting crazy, but um, we've talked a lot to him and, and everyone else just about how that's working and how he's doing it. And he's really, you know, he, he said it in that, that audio that I'm sure everyone heard. Um, they, they are the gold standard, you know, especially in the UK and, you know, they planted the flag after COVID and he, you know, he's shooting his movie. Um, but, uh, but they are really the gold standard. So a lot of people are looking at what they're doing on their movie. A lot of people are looking at, um, there's a David O. Russell movie happening in Los Angeles right now. A lot of people are looking at that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just, it's a great unknown. Um, and then globally, and then New Orleans specific, I think New Orleans will always be a hub to shoot movies. I, I was lucky enough to shoot two weeks here on American Made with Tom and, um, we enjoyed the hell out of it. It was, it was so much fun. Everyone loves coming to this town and it's, you know, the stages are really great. Now the crews are really great, uh, which did, didn't exist seven years ago. Really, It, it existed, but now the crews are three deep, four deep. They've got some really great talent here. Um, they've got some great um, stages here. And also, um, you know, the tax credit's really wonderful. They came back with the tax credit, thankfully, which is really good. Um, but yeah, so I would love to shoot more here. Right, so that that's, that could be something else. You get your Oscar and then make your shoot an entire feature here in New Orleans. That could be on your. That's it. I want to make Everest here. I'd love to do that. There's just not a hill high enough to do it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're right. <laughs> um, I guess you could build it out at Mishu or whatever. Well, the problem with Mishu is that now they're actually making rockets there again. So like the soundstage. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, that's right. Okay, last two questions. Just switching topics dramatically. When your publicist reached out, she mentioned that you're recording an album, but you'd never played yeah. a note of music before. Uh, That's exactly right, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's a big learning curve for me. Can you explain? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I've always kind of grown up around musicians and stuff. No one in my family plays music, but I, you know, I was one of my best friends in elementary school plays music. And, um, you know, they're from Homa. And, you know, he plays in Mark Broussard's band from Lafayette. So I was fortunate enough to go out on the road with them and just kind of see it one summer. I went out for a couple weeks whenever I was in college, but like summer going into college, I did that. And it was a blast. I enjoyed it. And I've always, I've always, I've always, all of my heroes are musicians. 
they were never movie stars. <laughs> and so yeah. I ended up in the movie business because it just happened to kind of work and, you know, it, I formed a career out of it or whatever. Um, and then when COVID hit, I, I found myself like with nothing to do. And so I, um, I called a couple friends of mine. I called Steve Jordan, who's a producer in the, in the music business. He produces all John Mayer stuff and um, Keith Richards and things like that, the Rolling Stones. Um, and I've, I've, I've kind of like meddled this, this like group of friends who are musicians that were kind of doing nothing because of COVID also. Yeah. And uh, we ended up assembling a really amazing team. So Steve Jordan is producing the record. He played drums on it. I've got Dick played guitar on it. Uh, Pino Palo is playing uh, Wadi Wachtel, which is this old guy who did uh, all of the uh, all of the Fleetwood Mac uh, stuff, and he's done tons of things for the Rolling Stones and everyone else. But the record's in production now. I don't. I did not know how to play music. Really, I knew how to kind of play guitar. I've never sang before, um, so it's been a massive learning curve for me just over the last like five months of doing it. I've gone you, out to like you're basically you're writing and recording songs, and you're singing them. Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And are you the playing guitar at all, or are you playing guitar at all, or are you just having the band play? I am, yeah. Yeah, so I'm playing guitar, and I, I started actually rehearsing at Tipitina's, okay. and uh, because they don't really have anything during the day, and so I was able to uh, to get Stanton to let me uh, to rent the place out, you know, twice a week or something, and I have Mark Broussard's band that's that's backing me right now at Tipitina's, <laughs> so I... Uh, I, I, I'm actually going out there Tuesday. I'm going out there tomorrow and Monday, and I do it in the morning before L.A. wakes up. So it's kind of like my, my morning workout. I've given up workouts, and I'm just doing this now. So you make um, poor uh, musicians wake up at 8 a.m. and come play music with you at Tips? That's exactly right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> While the kids are at school, it's very, it's, it's very centered around kids' schedules, to be honest with you. That's so funny. So I drop the kids off at school, and I go, I go rehearse the Tips. But, but, yeah, we're going to do some live shows at the end of this year with, uh, you know, maybe like the Wallflowers, uh, Citizen Cope, and a few other, uh, few other people we're going to bring in um, – maybe to New Orleans, and then I'm going to do a couple shows outside of Louisiana. All right. Well, good luck with the music venture. That's exciting. Um, I'm going to need it. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, um, okay. And then real quick, I mentioned your, uh, you guys, tell me about Sugar Roots Farm. Your wife's project. Yeah. So um, her really close friend, Kendall Schindler uh, and Patrick Schindler that, um, that, live, that live very close to us, um, they've been friends with us for a very long time. And my wife had always, she's, she's obviously, she's a veterinarian from, she went to LSU and she grew up in Thibodeau. And so she's always growing up with animals and on a farm and all that other stuff. And different from me, I didn't, I had, I had a dog, but um, I, uh, she, she, my wife had always wanted to open this farm up and um, she was never able to do it because we had four kids. And uh, my career was kind of taking us to Los Angeles and all this other stuff. So long story short, about three years ago, I guess it was Kendall called her um, and said, listen, I'm, do, I'm putting together this farm. It's going to be on the West Bank. And um, I'd really love you to be a part of it since you're a veterinarian, you love animals, you used to show dogs and all this other stuff. And so Caitlin really helped her kind of put it together. And she's on the board um, of the farm right now. And they do these really amazing things. They have like kids can go and they can learn all about how to grow things. They can learn all about how to take care of these animals. And um i think it's now like an actual like working farm it's pretty it's pretty fantastic but it's it's a shelter for a lot of animals that um 
don't quote me on this. I get well. I guess I'm on air, but um, it, it it is a shelter for animals that are that, that that need a home at the end of the day. And so there's a lot of that stuff going on. But it's it's really amazing. It's 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 really fantastic. Gotcha. People can Google that and look it up too. Um, okay. Now the, uh, for your last question, I'm going to ask you the same thing I ask everybody I talk to each week, which is thinking about the pandemic and everything that's been going on here in New Orleans. Uh, what what makes you worried and what makes you optimistic? Um, I guess what I worry most about is, uh, what I worry most about is, you know, are we going to go back socially and be able to do what we did two years ago? As humans, I think you need that. You need that to grow. I think your kids need that. I think it's part of learning how to shake hands, learning how to look at someone in the eye, learning how to hug someone and show affection. Um, so I worry about that. Um, just with humanity in general, in my opinion. Um, and what I'm optimistic about is that I think what this has done is it's really put things into perspective for a lot of people, a lot of families, a lot of businesses, a lot of, um, um, yeah, a lot of families and a lot of businesses. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see the reboot that happens sans COVID. You know, I think, I, I do think we'll come back stronger people here because we, we have, we've always done it. We've overcome a lot before. Um, and um, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, to see everyone operating at full capacity again and hugging and kissing and having fun. Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest and everything else <laughs> in between. <laughs> I, I like the, the word reboot. That's kind of a good way to describe what we're all going to attempt to do is have a, a giant system reboot over the next year. That's it. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, you don't take Jazz Fest for granted anymore. You don't take going to live shows at Tupatina's for granted anymore. You don't take Mardi Gras for granted anymore. It's those things you've always taken for granted. Tyler Thompson, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you for having me anytime. It was fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.